Good morning and welcome. We're glad you're with us. Hopefully you're with us last week as we looked at Easter, the single most important point in all of human history. In fact, we heard the powerful truth of how Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was the single most important act of love that the world has ever seen. In fact, it changed the world as we know it. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who have trusted upon his name for salvation, we placed our faith in the fact that he took upon himself what we deserved and died in our place so that we wouldn't have to. Because we trusted him in that way, he's changed the entire trajectory of our lives altogether, even for eternity. So I encourage you, if you didn't get to hear it, go back and listen to that message and listen to the one from the week before. Collectively, you'll hear the truth in, in, in all about how he truly loved you and made a new way, an opportunity for new life for all of us. He opened the door. What we'll hear in this new life is it's not about you. And it's not about what you do, not about what I do. It's about what he does, about what he has done. And it's about him teaching us who he intended us to be before the foundation of the world was ever existed. And that, that truth leads me to where we're going to study today. It's the beginning of a new series that we're starting called Disciple Culture. In it, we're going to see how Jesus has trained us as his apprentices and how he's made us to be his ambassadors to reflect him and the truth of what he's done to the rest of the world. In Jesus' example, we got a vision. And a vision is incredibly important for every organization and relationship. Without them, it's simply just impossible to be successful. But with a vision, it means direction. It means clarity. It means priority and purpose. And I would say as equally as important to vision is the culture that's created to carry in a vision. Because without an able culture to carry a vision, that vision will f- fall flat. In fact, it'll, it'll die. The scriptures say that without a vision, the people scatter or they perish. So the church is an organization or an organism that is built upon a relationship. And the culture created therein is incredibly important in order to carry the gospel of Jesus and advance his kingdom from one life to the next quarantine, if it's taught us nothing, it's taught us this, that we're called to rethink everything. Jesus, in his very final ministry on the planet, turned his sole attention to the training of his disciples in order that they would learn how to develop that culture and carry that gospel that would, that would change the world around us as he departed post-cross and the resurrection. He was leaving it all to them, and he was trying to give them a new perspective, one that would retrain the way that they had been taught and the way they had seen the world through their heritage. He was trying to help them see the way things were uh, intended from God's perspective, and he was trying to teach them how to love as he did. So this morning, he's probably trying to retrain our minds altogether with this quarantine and we need to see as his disciples his ability to do so. Jesus needed his disciples to see that salvation and their role in the kingdom was much larger than they had ever learned to date. I believe he desires to teach us the same thing. It was months ago prior to this COVID-19 quarantine that we had planned to teach these two series. We were led long ago by the Spirit of God to the series we just finished last week of people becoming and this series discipleship culture or disciple culture because we believe that he is trying to lead us to understand how to see the world the way he does as the priest that he's left us to be in said world. In 1 Peter 2:9 it says that he expects us to be a royal priesthood. The reason I mentioned that he led us months ago is because it beckons our attention. While times are uncertain and we're uncertain with this quarantine, it shows that God was sovereign even far before and that he is not uncertain. And so this 
this has got my attention and I hope it gets yours because I believe he desires to teach us something. Over the course of the next seven weeks, we're going to look at literally just a chapter and a half of Scripture. And we're going to examine specific spiritual disciplines that Jesus was trying to pass along to his disciples and he's trying to pass along to us for implementation so that we might have and create a culture that can carry that all-important gospel. Today we're going to look at a very important word. That word is solitude. And in the English language, solitude and isolation can often seem like the same definition. However, I want to offer a new definition today. Solitude, if you will, is the choosing to step free of human relationships for a period of time, even a lengthy one, to prioritize the, the voice of Jesus above all over the voices and to prioritize the relationship that we have to Jesus above all other relationships. So today, as we turn to Mark 7, I want to encourage you to embrace solitude. As we see, He is the one who heals from desperation and from deafness. Let's look at Mark 7. Verse 24, it says, Jesus left that place and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as he, she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. That woman was Greek, born in Syria and Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. First point, we miss Jesus by fighting isolation instead of embracing solitude. I wrote about it this week in Genesis 32. We see that Jacob wrestled with God. You can go to my Facebook. You can see that. Uh, it was Wednesday. I wrote a devotion on this very thing. Jacob literally means deceiver or manipulator, liar. And he had been taught that the only way to get ahead in life was to manipulate by his own hand. Maybe you and I have been taught in this selfish world something similar. So he wrestles with God and he literally tries to wrestle from God a blessing. But when he finally starts to slow down and get tired, he, he gets to a place of resting, he submits to God, and, and God looks at him and begs a confession, and it is in that confession that God gives him a new name. But see, Jacob had to come to the point of resting, he had to come to a point of teachability, where he'd stop fighting to hear that new name, to hear what God wanted to say to him, to say over him. It's much like in Samuel 3, when God calls the young boy, Samuel, the prophet, for the first time. Samuel's asleep at night, and he's just a teenager being trained by his mentor, Eli. He wakes up in the middle of the night because he heard a voice say his name. He runs to Eli's mentor, and Eli says, I didn't call you. When he realizes that it is God who's calling the boy, he teaches him a very important phrase. That phrase was, I want you to go back. I want you to lay down and rest again. But when you hear that voice the second time, I want you to simply say this. Speak, for your servant is listening. Samuel was young, impressionable, he was innocent and teachable. And what Eli was trying to encourage Samuel to recognize is we have to be at a place of resting. Well, we're not fighting and we have to be teachable in order to hear what God has for us. Jesus, when the children came to him and his disciples tried to beat them away, they just wanted to sit in his lap. He said, look, you can't otherwise be my disciple unless you come to me just like these children, innocent and free of adult skepticism, that you might hear the very important things that I desire to say to you. And if you haven't learned it yet, Scripture reveals that the most important things in life are always said in a whisper. In 1 Kings 19, after Elijah has 
performed this amazing feat of God's strength in 1 Kings 18. We see God put his power on full display. It earns Elijah a death sentence, and he runs away from God to save his own life. It's upon that running in fear that God meets him in a cave, and he finds him in solitude. And God says to him, I want you to come out, and I want you to see something. God comes by in a huge wind, a huge fire, and an earthquake. And in all those big, uh, big displays, it says that they pronounced his presence, but he wasn't in any of them. But behind it was a simple whisper, and upon the whisper was the presence of God. I say, I say this, maybe you've been looking for God in all the big, but maybe God's been trying to show you that the most important things He wants to say to you are said in a whisper, and He wants to reveal Himself in the mundane, in the day-to-day. Maybe He wants to meet you right where you are. Jesus calls us into solitude to prepare us. God has always been about pulling His people aside, and He continues right now today with you and with me in this quarantine. We'll miss Him in it if we continue to fight Him and, and fight the isolation instead of embracing Him in solitude. He pulled them aside. He pulled, he pulled all of them aside in this story. He pulls aside his disciples. He pulls aside the, the, the woman. And in a moment, we're going to see that he pulls aside the deaf. He pulls aside his disciples from distractions. These distractions come in the form of misinterpretation leading from distorted teaching and tradition. These men had been taught to see the world a certain way, that the, the people of God were solely the Jews. And everyone else, Samaritan and Gentile, those were dogs. That God wasn't for them, he rejected them. But Jesus is about to leave the entire ministry of his gospel to these men. So instead of being apprentices, they're about to step into leadership. My, my grandpa, when I was, a, was an electrician, and when I was 10, I witnessed him take a, his apprentice under his wing for two years. And he took him under an apprenticing process of handing him the very business that he had built from the ground up with his own hands. And he was going to leave said business in the hand of his apprentice. But he needed to teach his apprentice certain disciplines and an ability to see the organization as its new leader. He needed to teach him a new perspective, the perspective of a leader, not the one of apprentice. Like the master electrician teaching his apprentice to see the world in a way that the apprentice had never seen before, maybe Jesus is beckoning a new perspective for his people. He does it right here with his disciples, and maybe he's doing it with you and I. See, the Jews were always intended to be priests. It says that in Exodus 19. In fact, in 1 Peter 2, we are told that we are a royal priesthood. We're to reveal the one true God of the world. But they, instead of doing this, interpreted that they were superior to everyone else and, again, condemned the world. Much of their tradition taught them to because of the the misinterpretation of the people reading what God had for them, the leadership. Jesus sought to teach his disciples that salvation was for all families of the earth, not just the Jewish. This was radical. It was revolutionary. And much of the, the first century Jews struggled with this notion. You can see that throughout all of the New Testament. Here in this passage with this woman, the desperate, he teaches a value and a valuable lesson. He teaches a valuable lesson about genuine faith. This woman's relentless pursuit of Jesus, as this same story is recorded in Matthew 15, it says she fell at his feet and wouldn't stop begging him, is is not intended to show that she just wanted to beat him up or, or be a barrage of information for him. She is seeking him because she's desperate and trusts that he's the only one who can answer. He's the only one that can heal. This 
this recording of her continuing and not letting go, not taking no for an answer, is a distinguishing thing that he's trying to teach his disciples. He's not trying to be rude. He's trying to indicate the stark difference between the rejection and the superficial faith that was evident in chosen Israel with the hatred of the the leaders who were trying to kill him. And now as he's in this Gentile region with all Gentiles, he's showing the faith of a people that they were taught to ignore and avoid is genuine. This woman truly places all that she has in Jesus and knows that he alone can answer. Jesus pulls his disciples away to develop them, help them understand plainly, and to entrust to them the ministry of the gospel and his kingdom. Much like he's pulled you and I away right now. He wants their undivided attention as he teaches them, much like he wants yours and mine right now. This woman finds him in solitarity and in desperation. She's desperate. And maybe you are desperate yourself right now. I would be desperate. I... This woman has a demon-possessed daughter. And as a father, nothing is more painful than watching your children suffer. It can feel helpless. It's heart-wrenching. I can empathize with his mother as a parent watching a child being tormented by an evil spirit, unable to shake it, unable to, to change it. She, it's out of her control. And this, her baby is completely subject to the mistreatments of this evil spirit. So he pulls the desperate from demon possession because desperation led and revealed a deepened faith within her. Jesus frees this family from demonic oppression due to the faith-driven petition of its mother. The desperate woman won't take no for an answer, but it is because she knows and trusts that Jesus alone can heal. She becomes undignified. The word is proskuneo. It says that she bowed down or fell down on her face. Well, we get the word um, to lay prostrate. She falls at his feet, grabbing at his ankles because because she is desperate for him to answer. Her faith appears even greater in this moment because of how little she knew. She's not coming from the rich background that the Jewish disciples have. Jewish people were given the promises of a coming Messiah. And that coupled with a a heritage that taught them sacrifice, sort of proof of sin. She's pagan. She's only coming from the background of experiencing worship from the oppression of false gods. And, and she, in this moment, starkly turns her back on that to trust Jesus. And she's saying openly that those gods that she was taught in the world have only brought her pain and loss. And maybe, maybe the world around you, apart from Jesus, has taught you the same. Maybe it's only taught you pain and loss, and you yourself today are desperate. I want to tell you that today, Jesus alone can, can free and heal the desperate. But reading on a Mark 7, it says in 31, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, to the region of Decapolis, which means ten cities. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf, who could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. Then he spit and touched his tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh. He said to him, Ephatha, which is Aramaic and means be opened. At this time, the man's ears were open and his tongue was loosened. He began to speak plainly. Next point. He pulls the deaf from desolation. Demon possession in this day, in its mildest sense, was interpreted as mental handicapped. So people would isolate and avoid this man because they thought he was mentally handicapped. At worst, it was interpreted as demon possession. And so in this passage, what's interesting in this chapter is just like the woman 
who had a daughter who was depressed by a demon, they would have treated this deaf man the same way. This deafness is isolating, and so Jesus comes to heal it. This man, in every crowd he's in, is alone. Life for him is silent, and so he can't interact with other people. People even further perceive him as mentally ill or stricken by God and hated with demon possession, so they avoid him at all costs. Jesus instead pulls him aside and communicates with the man through gestures, like an early form of sign language. He places his fingers in his ears to tell the man that he understands and he knows that he's not mentally ill or handicapped or that, that he's demon-possessed, but that he simply cannot hear and he intends to fix that, acknowledging his physical problem to the man. Can you imagine how hard it would be to be misdiagnosed your entire life, possibly misunderstood or misinterpreted your entire life, how hard that has to be? That's what this man is dealing with. And maybe some of you can relate. Maybe you've walked through life and feel misunderstood entirely. Jesus understands, pulls him aside, and he, he speaks to this man. He lets him know that I intend to heal you. And, and it's evident in the second gesture. He spits and touches its tongue. Now, saliva had no healing properties, but ancient people tended to believe that it did. And so Jesus likely did this just to communicate to the man that I intend to heal you. Jesus didn't come to isolate. He came to unite. He came to bring this man through solitude back into the fold with himself and with others. He unites this man to people and others in a moment that is miraculous and the people celebrate. Jesus pulls him from the crowd because his healing him isn't about the crowd. It isn't about proving anything to anyone. It's simply about loving this man as God intended for him to be loved and meeting his personal need. So he pulls him aside and he speaks to him and he heals him, restoring him to God by faith and restoring him to society by relieving his isolating stigma. He can do the same for you. You might say, well, Justin, I'm not, I'm not desperate like that or I'm not deaf. Let's, let's evaluate. How many of you have ever thought or said, I can't hear God? Well, I don't believe that's because you can't hear Jesus. It's because you continue to choose not to, and you continue to choose other voices more than His. Trusting Jesus in solitude leads to hearing. Maybe today you might recognize that you are desperate and you want Him, and maybe you haven't recognized, but you just heard me say that you might be today spiritually deaf, and so today the only way you get past this is to embrace Jesus in solitude. It led to the deaf hearing in this passage, and it leads to you and I hearing him as well. God has always been about pulling his people aside, and he continues today. He is doing the same in this very quarantine. We'll miss him if we continue fighting isolation and not embracing the solitude that he's called us into. So the question is, if God wanted to heal you today, wanted to free you, what would he say? What is God saying to you? What is he whispering to you? Because he has really important things to say to you and say over you of his love, but are you even listening? Maybe he's been trying to tell you even before quarantine, but you couldn't hear him given all the other voices you allow to distract you, to take your attention. They vie for your attention and you let them. How will you this week begin to embrace solitude? By leaning into his presence and listening for his voice. It is... By this discipline, becoming a regular rhythm in our lives, that we can grow in intimacy. 
We can grow in discernment. We can grow in the peace of clarity as worshipers of Jesus because we've heard from the one, the only one, who in this passage we see can heal. He desires to heal this woman and free her daughter of oppression. He desires to heal the deaf. He desires to heal you. He desires to speak to you his perspective. He desires to speak over you his love. And the question is, will you allow him to? Will you begin this week to find a place that is quiet regularly, sit alone in his presence, and submit to his Holy Spirit? Will you open the scriptures, meditate on what he says, and seek to apply more of him, because as you open the scriptures, you see who he is and who you're not, and less of you in the day-to-day. John the Baptist said, more of, more of him and less of me. Maybe more contemporarily, you need to look at those old bracelets that became a fad for a moment, and what would Jesus do? Maybe you need to ask yourself that question. But I want us to apply in the solitude, much like Eli taught his understudy Samuel the prophet, I would ask you to say the same. As you come into the quiet, I want you to simply sit there in the rest, not fighting, and ask this question. All you need to say is this, speak for your servant is listening. And then be teachable to receive the things that Jesus wants to teach you and uh, the love that he desires to show you. This morning, we can do that right now, right here. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask you to respond in worship in a few ways in a moment. But I want you to seek the Lord and what he has for you, what he wants for you. And all I ask is that you be teachable and respond in obedience. So Father, as we come right now in this moment, we pause and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for these passages making clear that he's the healer and that he calls us into solitude because he loves us and desires to speak to us. As his disciples, he wants to offer us a new perspective. He wants to teach us to lead and to love like you. Right now, as we respond in this moment, in this gathering, in the sanctity of our homes, how do you desire for, you, for us to respond to you, your people? Father, how do you want us to become the people of God and in obedience respond to you in the solitude? Open our ears, open our hearts and our minds that we'd hear you, that we'd not miss you as we embrace solitude. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as the band is coming back, I want you to respond in a few ways. Maybe today you're desperate. And you know it. Maybe today you need to place at his feet your need right now in prayer because he alone can fix it. Come to him like the desperate mother that we saw in this passage who persisted in his goodness and in his abilities, knew that he alone was the Savior and the healer, and he alone was the one that she could trust. Maybe right now, as the band leads, you need to respond by placing your need at his feet. Maybe today you're the deaf And you can't hear, and you need to give him your ears spiritually. Maybe you've been spiritually deaf to his leading, trying to figure it out on your own, and you've exhausted yourself in that effort. Today, will you just submit? Will you just stop fighting, be teachable, rest, and let him teach you regularly as you ask him him to speak and to, to lead you loudly? You can start that process right now. You can lean in this week, but you can start right here in the sanctity of your home by leaning in and just asking God, what do you desire for me to do? What do you desire to teach me? What do you want to say over me? Show me your love. And lastly, maybe you just need to talk further. Maybe you've heard something and you would just like to hear some more. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know. Maybe you just need us to pray for something for you. Let us know. You can email us at prayer at the fellowship.cc. 
any one of these three responses or all three of the responses are appropriate. And right now, as we spawned in worship, we ask that you would just do whatever God has asked you to do in solitude.